Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Something that I say to our staff team all the time, they they probably get tired of hearing me say it, but I say that leaders are learners. And if you stop learning, you really forfeit the right to lead. Leaders are learners. If you stop learning, you forfeit the right to lead. And because of that, one of the practices that we have here with our staff team, with particularly all our pastors and ministry leaders, is a requirement that they read a book a month here at Hope. Regardless of their performance, they don't even qualify for any kind of merit increase if they don't read a book a month because I want to know that we're constantly learning and growing. And so a book that I'm reading this month, I usually have about five books going at the same time, but one of the books that I'm reading right now is a book I'm rereading. It's by a man named Lance Witt, and it's called Replenish, Leading from a Healthy Soul. And listen to this quote that I read this week in Lance Witt's book. He said, in a healthy church, Jesus is the most famous person. That's a great statement. We're living in a day and a generation of pastors in America who think that they are rock stars or celebrities or CEOs. When in reality, when the church is healthy, the most famous person in the church is Jesus himself. The church exists to glorify and exalt the name of Jesus. And it's that very heartbeat that Lance Witt was writing about in his book that a few thousand years ago Simon Peter was writing about when he was addressing pastors in the local church. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 5. We have been walking verse by verse through a study of 1 Peter since the middle of last year. And we are about to be bringing that to a close. We've got about three or four weeks left in this study to finish 1 Peter. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is specifically talking to spiritual leaders, or we talked about last weekend, pastors in the church. I want to read these verses again, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, And a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
we opened these five verses last weekend under this idea of spiritual leadership. What Peter is addressing is what spiritual leadership looks like in the church. And I said last weekend, I think this is the first time in 14 years as a church that we've come to a place in the scriptures, we've been studying through books of the Bible, where it's addressed this specifically. So we've taken two weekends to unpack some principles about spiritual leadership, particularly Peter here uses three different words or phrases. He uses the word elder, he uses the word shepherd, and he uses the phrase exercising oversight, which is translated as a noun with the word bishop in other places in the New Testament. He uses all three of those words interchangeably to refer to the the leaders who shepherd God's church by exercising oversight. And we said last weekend that the term we use most here at Hope to encompass all of that is the term pastors. So I gave you a definition that I want to put back up on the screen that really summarizes what we did last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you go online, study through what we talked about last weekend because it's a great foundation. Here's the definition. Those uniquely called of God and given to the local church to serve by leading the church to make disciples. And really, we talked about that last weekend. We talked about the fact that pastors are, first of all, called of God. And did you know we had almost 30 people last weekend out of our fellowship who came and said, I think God may be calling me into pastoral ministry. What an awesome testimony. I told you last weekend that where do pastors come from? God calls them out of healthy churches. And last weekend, we extended that call. And we've got a lot of people in a process that we're about to begin walking with them to discover that. But first and foremost, pastors are called of God. We said, secondly, they're given to the church. God gives his church pastors, and then thirdly, he gives them to serve by leading the church to accomplish its mission. So we unpacked all of that last weekend under what we called the principle of spiritual leadership. Now what we want to do this weekend is talk about the heart of spiritual leadership, and then right at the end, I'm going to give you some specifics about how we do this here at Hope. So I want to unpack this by asking four big questions. Here's question number one. What is the heart of the pastors as they lead? Peter is writing here and he's addressing the heart of spiritual leadership. Unfortunately, in our culture today, we see a gross misrepresentation of the heart of spiritual leadership. Some of you have come into our fellowship, didn't know Christ at all, and, and this is the only church you know, and, and, and I thank God for you that this is the only church you know. Others of you have come in with the battle scars of seeing leadership done poorly. You've seen bad examples of leadership. And for some of you, it's taken some time to even extend us grace as leaders because you have touched that hot stove and your hands are still burning, and we understand that. But Peter here is writing to give us what really the heartbeat is, and he does it using three contrasting statements. In verse 2, he begins by saying, They're to do this not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Here's a statement I want to give you. Pastors should lead with a willing heart. They should lead with a willing heart. That phrase, not under compulsion, it means they should not lead by constraint or obligation or a feeling that they have to do it. Within church culture, there is often pressure put on people 
who are walking with Jesus passionately to be in ministry. You see somebody in the church, man, and they're just full of Jesus, and they're using their gifts to serve, and they're sharing their faith with unbelievers, and we say, oh, well, they must be a pastor. That's not normal, right? I love the way Vance Havner said it. Look what Vance Havner said. He was who I was named after. He was a pastor from the last century. Listen to what he said. Most Christians have been subnormal so long that when they become normal, they are thought to be abnormal. So here's what happens in the church. We see somebody being normal, and we go, boy, you must be a pastor. God has to be calling you because the rest of us don't act like that, right? But what, what, what Peter is saying here is you don't get into the ministry because you've been pressured into it by somebody else. There are too many church-called and mama-called people serving in ministry. You don't get into ministry because mama said, I think you're going to be a preacher. You don't get into ministry because your friend said, man, I think God's calling you to preach. Listen, God's not going to call you through them. God's going to call you through your relationship. Now, those things can be confirming, but you don't get into the ministry because of the expectation of others. He says here, you don't serve because you have to. You serve voluntarily as a free choice. What he's saying is that these leaders, these pastors serve willingly in response to the call of God on their lives. Pastors lead because they want to, not because they have to. I said last weekend in the message, if you were here at one point, I talked about specifically this call of God and how when you've been called of God, I couldn't quit ministry if I wanted to. And I told you there are a lot of days that you do want to quit. There are. In ministry, there are days that you want to give up and you want to quit. But, but here's what this principle teaches us. If I tried to quit, I would be the most miserable person on planet Earth. Because here's what happens. When God calls you, He also gives you a God-given, grace-given desire for ministry. And nothing else will fulfill you. When somebody says, I think I'm called to ministry, I always try to talk them into doing something else. Because if you can do something else and be happy, you are not called. You're not. But when God calls you, there's a desire and a want to. Yes, there are days that you want to quit, but you can't stop what you didn't start. And if you tried to, you'd be miserable because there's a desire that goes with that calling. So pastors lead willingly. Number two, pastors should lead with a giving heart. Not just a willing heart, but a giving heart. Look what he says in verse 2. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. That word or phrase, sordid gain, the King James is where, if you if you like the King James translation, this is where we get that phrase, filthy lucre. If you've ever heard that, it's right here. It's this phrase, sordid gain. It's using the position for personal gain. I love this statement by John MacArthur. Ministry for money and personal gain is a prostitution of the calling of the Lord of the church. If a man is serving in ministry because of what he can get out of it, he's serving with the wrong heart. Pastors should never, hear this clearly, pastors should never use their position of leadership for personal gain. Peter says, you don't serve for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Now, this doesn't mean 
This doesn't mean it's wrong for pastors to be taken care of materially by the people that they shepherd. It's not what Peter's saying. The Bible says in some other places, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. Look at this verse of Scripture. Paul writes and he says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And it's interesting. Paul is writing here as an apostle and Paul is writing to the church. And Paul doesn't say, I'm teaching you this. Notice what he said. This is what the Lord directed. Paul says that he understood it to be the teaching of Jesus. This isn't something that got added later on. Paul said, the Lord said, those who preach the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So to to say that a pastor should never use his position for personal gain is not to run to the extreme to say that pastors can't be taken care of by the churches that they serve. Nor is it to mean that pastors have to barely get by. I've, I've served in the churches where they thought it was their job to humble me. And, and they did that by the way that they provided, right? They wanted to keep you living in desperation for God. They thought that was their role. I, I have that t-shirt. I know what that feels like. But that's not what Peter's saying here. And you're a church that, that blesses those that serve the Lord in the gospel. Look what 1 Timothy says, chapter 5. I looked at this verse last weekend. The elders who, serve, who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For... The scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So Peter's not saying that it's wrong to take care of those that are shepherding the flock. But what he is saying is that in the heart of a pastor, a pastor should should never lead based on what they get out of it, but for what they give to it. That's the word eagerness here. The word eagerness is a word that means emotional desire to do something. It's the joy of the ministry. It's what John wrote about in the book of 3 John. Look at it on the screen. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. What ought to wake a pastor up in the morning and motivate him to serve is not what he gets out of it, but it's the joy of seeing people equipped and discipled and set free in the truth of the gospel. Man, as I look around the room this morning, I'm catching the eye of faces and people that I know where they were, I know where they were living, I know the pain that they were walking through, and I now know the joy of seeing them set free in the gospel. And I'm just telling you as a preacher, what gives you joy? is not how many people come to hear you on Sunday. What gives you joy is not how big the building is. What gives you joy is seeing men and women set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater joy than seeing the people that you are called to shepherd walking in the truth. Let me give you a third statement. Pastors should lead with a transformed heart. A willing heart, a giving heart, a transformed heart. Look what he says. Nor yet, in verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Lording it over is the phrase that he uses here. It's a word that describes harsh, excessive authority by force. And we've all seen it. We've all been in a church where the pastor uses his authority to get his way, to get his want, to get his desire. 
And when they do that, they always throw around this phrase, well, I'm the pastor. Authority is like a bar of soap. The more you use it, the less you have. If you always, if you always have to throw out there how much authority you have, you don't have very much authority. Peter says the pastor's job is not to remind everybody that he's the pastor so that he can get what he wants done. Peter says there's no place for this in the church. Why would he say that? Let me tell you why. Because of who Jesus is. If you read the Gospel of John, 33 different times in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this word to describe himself. Jesus says, I am sent. 33 times. It's his favorite term to refer to himself in the Gospel of John. Jesus says of himself, he was sent. It's a word that means to send forth on a mission. And here's what I understand from that. Jesus did not lead as one in authority. He led as one under authority. Now, Jesus was 100% God in the flesh. He had every right to show up and lead as one in authority. He was God and is God. But Jesus, in his humanity, modeled for us submission to the will of the Father, and he did not lead as one in authority. He led as one under the authority of his Father. Here's the principle for pastors. Pastors are not to lead as people in authority. They are to lead as people under authority. Pastors are under the authority of God. And we lead understanding the weight of that. And that's why he says, don't lord it over, but be an example. An example of what? An example of submission to God. An example of dying to self and living for the glory of God. The word example is a word that means a pattern to be imitated. He's talking here about pastors living by example. The authority that rests in a pastor is gained... As they live a life that exemplifies following Jesus and others see that and they want to follow that. Let me give it to you in a life application statement. Before I am called to be a leader, I am called to be a follower. And my ability as a leader is dependent upon my devotion as a follower. You see, before I'm called, before any of our pastors here at Hope are called to be pastors and leaders, we're called to be followers of Jesus. And our credibility to lead rests in our dependability and devotion as a follower of Jesus. We're called to lead with a transformed heart, meaning that this establishes the priority for the pastor. The priority for the pastor is his own intimate love relationship with Jesus. Here's what happens to a lot of pastors. They get so focused fixing everybody else's love relationship with Jesus that they forget about their own. And let me tell you what happens when you do that. You run out of gas. And you wind up shipwrecked on the side of the road because you're now serving and ministering out of your flesh rather than out of the overflow of an intimate love relationship with God. And we talked about that some last weekend, how sometimes pastors have to say no to ministry to say yes to intimacy with God. Why? 
because we have to lead from a transformed heart. Meaning, if we're not leading out of the overflow of God changing us, I, one of the things I try to be as, I, as much as I can before he's as transparent as I can be. I try when I stand up here to preach to let you know I do not have this figured out. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I blow it. I've got areas in my life I struggle with. I wake up a lot of days just like you thinking, am I even saved because of the stuff that's going on in my head? I live right where you live. Okay? I do. I understand. I get it. There are a lot of days my wife wakes up and thinks, is he even saved, right? (laughs) But what I also hope you see in me is, although I'm just like you, I'm not perfect, I'm like you in that I'm not the man I used to be. I'm in a process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, just like every one of us. We are to lead from a transformed heart. I love what John Piper said. He said this, look at this quote. The life-giving preacher is a man of God whose heart is ever athirst for God, whose soul is ever following hard after God, whose eye is single to God, and in whom by the power of God's Spirit the flesh and the world have been crucified, and his ministry is like the generous flood of a life-giving river. We must lead from a transformed heart. And for pastors, here's what that means. Ministry is at best, at best, the third priority. At best. Priority number one is their own personal devotional life, their walk with Jesus. Priority number two is their family and discipling and raising up their family. Because if a pastor loses his walk with Jesus, he'll disqualify himself in ministry. If a pastor loses his family, he can disqualify himself in ministry. There's priority one and two. At best, ministry is priority number three. When a pastor is leading from a transformed life, that's what he understands. So what's the heart of a pastor as he leads? A willing heart, a giving heart, a transformed heart. So let me ask a second question. What's the heart of the people as they follow? Look at verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Uh Uh-oh. Here goes Peter again with his favorite word in this letter, submission. He has worn us out with that word. He's used it over and over and over again. And no matter how many times he uses it, we still don't like it. Because we have allowed our culture of independence in America to shape our worldview rather than the Word of God. Submission is a way of life for a follower of Jesus. If you struggle with submission, you struggle in your walk with God. I mean, just think about all the places. We're we're first and foremost to live in submission to God. As children, we're to live in submission to our parents. As citizens, we're to live in submission to our governing authorities. As employees, we're to live in submission to our employers. As wives, you're to live in submission to your husbands. As husbands and families, we're to submit to God by submitting to our spiritual authorities in the church. The principle of submission is a biblical principle, not an absolute principle like we've already talked about. When any one of those authorities in our lives gets out of balance, we always submit to the highest authority, which is God himself. But as long as those authorities are not leading us away from the truth of God, the calling of Christ on us is to live submissive. Why is that? Because it's who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus said about himself in John 6? He said, I don't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus lived a life of submission. And here Peter is writing to the people in the church, and he specifically addresses the young people, but he's not just referencing the young people. He's really talking about all the people in the church here. 
He singles out the young people because the younger we are, the more we struggle with the issue of submission. The older we get, we begin to get wiser and have more experience and we begin to understand. So he addresses the younger people, but he's really talking to everybody here about this principle of submission. That Here's what he's saying. As people in a fellowship, recognizing God has given us pastors, and those pastors are here to serve by leading us to accomplish the mission, our response as people is to submit to those pastors, to submit to those leaders, and in doing so, we are submitting to God who's established this order in his fellowship, in his church. Shouldn't surprise us that Peter mentions it. It's mentioned other places in the Bible. Hebrews 13, 17. We read this verse last week and look on the screen. He says, obey your leaders and, say it out loud, submit to them. There it is again. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Heavy statement for pastors. Keep watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The biblical heart for people in relationship to their pastors is to live in submission to the leadership of their pastors. Now, again, this is not an absolute principle. If your pastors begin to lead you away from God's truth, listen to me, you have a higher authority in God himself. Let me ask you to do something. Would you do me a favor? Always measure everything that comes out of our mouths by this book. And the moment something comes out of our mouths that does not line up with this book, you not only have the right, you have the freedom, you have the responsibility to follow this book and ignore what we say. This book's what matters. This is the authority. And we as pastors are serving under the authority of God in teaching this book. So it's not an absolute principle, but here's the point. As you submit to your pastors as God's gifts to the church, here's what you're really doing. You're really saying, God, I trust you. I trust you, and I'm submitting to them in submission to you. And here's what you do when you do that. You stand under God's umbrella of protection. God's umbrella of protection and blessing on your life and on your family because you have submitted to God. When you step outside of God's boundaries, you step outside of God's umbrella of protection, you lose that. So this principle of submission in every area is critical to our living in submission to God. If you got that, say amen. I know we're moving quick this morning, but had a lot to get in. Number three, what is the heart of the relationship between pastors and the people they lead. So we've talked about the heart of the pastor. They're to lead willingly. They're to lead giving. They're to lead with a transformed heart. We've talked about the people. They're to live in submission to the leadership of their pastors. Well, what's the heart of the relationship between us as we live out these functions? Well, look what he says. Verse 5. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility. You've been talking to pastors. Then in verse 5, he starts talking to the people. And now he says, hey, let me get everybody's attention for a minute. Pastors, people, everybody look this way. All of you, whether it's in leading or in submitting, all of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. I am convinced that humility is the defining mark of the life of Jesus in the Gospels. 
the defining mark of his life. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty nine: 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Did you know this? The Greek word for humility did not even exist before the Christian era following Jesus. The word didn't even exist. Uh, the, the, the Christian virtue of humility was not used before the Christian era. It was a distinct outgrowth of the gospel, meaning this. Jesus came, he modeled humility, and then those that became his followers began to live a different characteristic that the world had never seen before. This idea of humility. We're to clothe ourselves in humility. I love C.S. Lewis' definition of humility. Look what he says. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. We think humility means, well, i got to have a low view of me. Woe is me. I'm humble. I'm terrible. I'm sorry. I'm... No, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You see, when pastor and people begin to live this principle out together, as pastors, instead of thinking about what's in it for us and how much authority God's given us and how special we must be to be called, instead of thinking like that, we realize that we've been called to serve. And in humility, like Christ modeled for us by grabbing the towel and the basin and washing the feet of his disciples, in humility we recognize that the role of pastor and people is not the people serving the pastor. It's the pastor serving the people. We've been called to serve. And as people, they reciprocate that with Christ-like humility where they realize it's not about them either. And there's a mutual Christ-like humility where we work in relationship to accomplish the great mission of God. And what a picture to the world when the church, as God established it and ordained it, begins to function this way. So there's the heart of the pastors. There's the heart of the people. And there's the heart of the relationship as we, we, we work this out. It's Christ-like humility. So I want to close by answering one last question. How do we flesh this out here at Hope? What does it look like here? We've talked about a lot of great principles. How do we do it here? At Hope, we believe in these principles that Peter has written to. We believe in biblical pastoral leadership. We believe that we all have a role in serving. We believe in that definition, those uniquely called of God and given to the local church to serve the church to make disciples. We believe in that. How do we flesh that out? Well, let me close by giving you six words. Six words that characterize how we practice this principle at hope. Here's word number one. Plurality. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. We practice leading together. We don't believe that there's one pastor and everything revolves around him. We function at hope with a plurality of pastors. It's one of the reasons that I don't teach every weekend here because we don't want a church built on the charisma or the teaching ability of one person. We want a church committed to the mission of God and reaching the nations for the glory of God. And so we, we believe in plurality. It's one of the things that makes us unique at Hope. We, we believe, we practice this 
with plurality. We have many pastors on our team. Number two, longevity. Longevity. Out of our plurality of pastors at Hope, we have recognized that God has a unique call on a few of us to a lifetime call on this work. Now, we have to live with a yes on the table. God can always move the pieces on his table as he chooses. But there are five pastors on our team that we've set aside as our what we call lead team of pastors. I lead that team, but I lead it as a leader among equals. I lead that team of five, and those five have all identified a lifetime call to this work, and they have a, a burden for the overall vision and mission. Some pastors on, on, a, on a church staff team like this have a strong calling to a unique particular part of the ministry. But some have a burden that encompasses the entire ministry, and there's a life call that goes with that. We've identified five guys. It's not a, we may have fewer than five at some times. We may have more than five at some times. But right now we have five on our lead team. And our church is 14 years old. But did you know that the five members of that lead team have 42 years of experience here at Hope combined? 42 years between the five of us. Been here a long time. We have a life call to this work. Believe God's put us here. There was a book by Tom Rainer called Breakout Churches, and he studied churches across America that are having kingdom impact, not just locally but globally. You know what the one single factor that all of them had in common was? Longevity of their pastoral leadership. They weren't there as a platform to move on somewhere else. They were there because God called them and they planted their lives. So we practice here plurality, longevity. Let me give you a third word. Transparency. Transparency. We practice what I like to call one conversation. What do you mean by that? There's no insider information at Hope. If you don't know something, it's because you haven't asked. It's a lot easier to just have one conversation. Then you don't have to remember who you told what and who you're not supposed to tell what, right? You just have one conversation, you can tell everybody anything, right? That's what we practice here at Hope. We practice as pastors transparency. There's no behind-the-curtain knowledge. Transparency. It's part of Christ-like humility. Number four is the word humility. Plurality, longevity, transparency, humility. We practice, first of all, submission to God. And then secondly, we practice submission to each other. Here's what that looks like as pastors. As pastors, as we practice humility towards each other, it means we're a team. Meaning that as pastors here at Hope, it's not like, well, this is my area, I don't do that. No, we're a team. Why? Because we practice humility towards each other. As, peop- as, as a relationship to our people, the way that, that that functions or the way that that fleshes itself out is in the attitude of service, that we're called to serve. So humility is another characteristic of how we practice this. Number five is the word accountability. Accountability. I want you to know that our pastors weekly ask each other very hard questions. Weekly, your pastors meet and we ask each other about our walk with Jesus. We ask each other about our relationships with people of the opposite sex. We ask each other about where we're growing. We ask each other some very hard questions. Why? Because we know we need accountability. Iron sharpens iron. But we practice accountability beyond just with our pastors. At Hope, we have what we call a stewardship team. 
Our stewardship team is made up of seven men who serve a three-year rotation inside of our church. Those seven men serve under the authority of our pastoral team, but our pastors have chosen in Christ-like humility to submit to them for accountability, insight, and wisdom on a whole lot of areas. Why do we do that? Because we believe it's part of fleshing out these principles. So we have a pastoral team that's leading, but that pastoral team in Christ-like humility is living in submission to a stewardship team that represents the people in our fellowship, and together those teams function in an accountability relationship. And then here's the sixth word. It's the word unity. Unity. We hear from God together. That lead team of five pastors and that stewardship team of seven people, when we get together and make a decision, let me tell you what we don't do. We never vote. The church doesn't move by consensus. The church moves by conviction. And conviction is born out of God speaking into our life. Until all 12 of us can say together, we've heard from the Lord, we don't move a step. We don't take a step. We hear from God together. The New Testament principle is where the the leadership in the New Testament church, you ever read in the Bible where it says, and they were all in one accord? That didn't mean they were driving around in a Honda, okay? (laughs) Somebody just went, oh, that's what that... No, listen, let me tell you what that meant. It meant they all had the same heart. They'd all heard from God together, and they were moving together. There have been times that we've waited for months because one person on that team had a check in their spirit. Here's what I believe. The 12 men in that room walk with Jesus, and they're godly, and if they have a check in their spirit, we'd be fools to walk past them. What is that? It's unity. So, so give me those six words. Put them back up there. Those six words that we just did. Plurality, longevity, transparency, humility, accountability, unity. That's how we at Hope practice and flesh out what we've been talking about over the last two weekends. And I hope what this series has done is let you know, first of all, what the Word of God says about this issue. Too many times we go into churches and we just don't even know any of this kind of stuff. So I hope it's let you see what the Word of God has to say. I hope it's helped you understand how you can better pray for your pastors and how you can intercede on their behalf. And I hope also that God's using it to lay a foundation for us as we continue to strive to be about accomplishing the mission. And then finally, I hope, just with these six words, it's given you another level of confidence in who we are as a fellowship and how we seek to accomplish the mission of God.